The worst question ever asked by anyone in the Bible was asked by Cain when he asked in Genesis 4-9, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, of course you are. How could you not know that? All human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. We are all in that sense, sons and daughters of the Creator. And on that basis alone, we have a responsibility to protect and defend human life. You don't get to claim ignorance. You know this. The knowledge of this truth is written on your heart. You know that the baby inside your womb is a human being. That's why when you intend to keep it, you give her a name. She's not a fetus. She's not a clump of cells. At six weeks, when you go home with your ultrasound picture, you put it up on your fridge. You show it to all your friends. You begin to pray for that little girl every night because she is a precious human being. You know that. We all know that, even though tens of millions of people in this culture pretend that they don't know that. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. God holds people responsible for rescuing those who are in mortal danger. There is no such thing as an innocent bystander. Wise people need to know that, according to the book of Proverbs, because all people will be held accountable for that on the day of judgment. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 24. We're in the latter half of the third collection which began in chapter 22, verse 17, and which carries on until verse 22 of chapter 24. This collection is generally given some version of the title, 30 Sayings of the Wise. We encountered sayings 6 through 18 in chapter 23, and now here, in the next several verses, we'll complete the collection by studying sayings 19 through 30, following which we will look at the fourth collection, generally referred to simply as further sayings of the wise. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. These two verses almost sound like Psalm 37 transposed into a wisdom key. Solomon may have heard his father David singing these words when he was a child. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. That's Psalm 37, 1 to 3. And that's more or less what the wise father is saying here. It is foolish to be envious of evil people. They may achieve a rapid rise through violence and force of arms, but look a little closer. Is that really the life you want? Is that really the company you want to keep? Such people are like the grass of the field. They spring up quick, but by August, they have burned to brown. Play the long game. Saying 20 is found in verses 3 and 4. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is a metaphor, obviously, and one we've seen before. In the prologue, we heard of two women and two houses that they built. This saying is making use of that same basic imagery. 
The idea is that by wisdom, a life is built, a family is grown, a home is established. The Father is saying here that building a good life is a process. It requires wisdom, reverence, and understanding. Saying 21 is found in verses 5 to 6. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. This is another one of those better than proverbs, again making the point that wisdom is better than physical strength. Saying 22 is found in verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate he does not open his mouth. The gate was the place of politics and negotiation. It was the place where disputes were settled and agreements reached, meaning it was the place for serious conversation, and the fool was out of his element. Don't be like that. Put the work in now, son, and you will speak confidently and without embarrassment when that day comes. Saying 23, whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. This verse has to do with reputation. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. Devising folly and scoffing are an abomination to all mankind. The wise father here is reminding the son that there are social consequences for doing wicked things. Of course, you can always find a couple of knuckleheads willing to be friends with you and cheer you on, but the vast majority of people in this world despise and avoid dishonest, rude, and disruptive people. Conduct yourself accordingly. In verse 10, we meet wise saying number 24. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Hard times tell the truth about who you are. We certainly learned that over the course of COVID. COVID told us the truth about our inner resources. It told us the truth about the health of our churches. It told us the truth about our commitment level. It told us the truth about the health of our relationships and the health of our finances. COVID was a giant stress test. Wise people will see it as such and will make whatever changes are called for. I said many times over the course of the recent pandemic that COVID-19 was a dress rehearsal. In the mercy of God, it gave us a chance to identify and patch any cracks we may have below the waterline. There is a bigger shake than COVID coming in the future, my friends. So receive that disruption as a kindness. Saying 25. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? I wonder how this saying hit home to the German people in the aftermath of World War II and the Holocaust. Alan P. Ross says here, God holds people responsible for rescuing those who are in mortal danger. Closed quote. The worst question ever asked by anyone in the Bible was asked by Cain when he asked in Genesis 4-9, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, of course you are. How could you not know that? 
All human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. We are all in that sense, sons and daughters of the creator. And on that basis alone, we have a responsibility to protect and defend human life. You don't get to claim ignorance. You know this. The knowledge of this truth is written on your heart. You know that the baby inside your womb is a human being. That's why when you intend to keep it, you give her a name. She's not a fetus. She's not a clump of cells. At six weeks, when you go home with your ultrasound picture, you put it up on your fridge. You show it to all your friends. You begin to pray for that little girl every night because she is a precious human being. You know that. We all know that, even though tens of millions of people in this culture pretend that they don't know that. And they'll have to answer for their complicity in the murder of over a million children every year in North America. Just like the German population will have to answer for the murder of six million Jewish people in the 1930s and 40s. This proverb is reminding us that we are not only responsible for the evil we do, we are also responsible for the evil we permit others around us to do. Passivity in the face of evil is a sin. At the very least, you need to vote. You need to speak. You need to tell the truth on behalf of those who can't be heard. Because at the end of this life, you will have to give an account for how you resisted evil and for what you did or didn't do to preserve the lives of the innocent. Saying 26, My son, Eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Here, wisdom is being compared to honey. The analogy was, I'm sure, much more immediately comprehensible in the ancient world than it is today. Honey then was one of the few sources of sweetness. It was also known to possess several important health benefits. It was thus sweet and good. It was pleasant in the short run and helpful in the long run, like wisdom. Wisdom is something you'll enjoy accumulating, and you will never come to regret possessing. Thanks be to God. Sang 27. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Derek Kidner reminds us here, An unscrupulous victory is never permanent. You are fighting against God. Quote. The righteous are remarkably resilient, and that is because God redeems and revives them. In his book, The Everlasting Man, G.K. Chesterton wrote about the five deaths of the faith. He said, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Quote. Hallelujah. Never take sides against the righteous, because even if you win, you will lose. They will rise, and you will fall, and you will have none to help you. Saying 28, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. 
lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Here's a good companion to the previous wise saying. It is true that those who oppose the people of God will fall and have no one to help them. But do not rejoice over that. Rather mourn, weep for them. Take upon yourself the attitude of Christ, who wept over the city of Jerusalem, though the people there would soon be calling for his death. He looked upon their future fate and cried, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke 19.42 The Lord did not gloat over the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, and nor should we gloat over the collapse of our culture or the inevitable ruin of all those opposed to Christ. Rebellious or not, those are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. They were made for more, and their ruin is a tragedy. God have mercy. Pastor Paul, I want to jump in here if I can, because what you said there really resonates with me. I seem to remember back in, what was it, May of 2011, when Osama bin Laden was killed, it was kind of unsettling to see TV hosts and late-night comedians basically dancing on the guy's grave. Obviously, he's a terrorist, a really bad guy, and it definitely makes sense to be happy when a threat like that is removed and contained by the military. I get it. I'm all for that. But even still, as a Christian... It feels wrong to celebrate the death of a human being, even a human being like Osama bin Laden. Am I off base on that? No, I don't think you are off base. Listen, I I think we forget sometimes what exalted creatures human beings really are. C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory said something along the lines that it's a good thing that we can't see who we will be in the eternal kingdom because if we could, we would be tempted to worship ourselves. Human beings are creatures of enormous dignity and worth. We were created in the image and likeness of God. The Bible doesn't say that about angels, but it does say that about us. So human beings matter. Every human being matters. Now, like you say, when the police arrest a murderer, we all feel better. We can be glad about that. And when the military takes out a dangerous terrorist, we feel good about that too. And that's not wrong. But to celebrate the death of an image bearer, to dance a jig because a human body has been dumped over the side of a ship into the ocean, that seems wrong to me. That seems unwise to me, given what we just read in this passage. Proverbs 24, 17 to 18 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. I think a wise person ought to take that seriously. Every human being, even the worst human being we can imagine, has been created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, their death apart from God is a tragedy that we should mourn, not a victory we should celebrate. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely something to think about. All right, let's jump back into the passage now at verse 19. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. We are not to gloat over the eventual demise of the wicked, and neither are we to envy their initial successes. We should see them as creatures of enormous worth and dignity, and we should be praying 
and pursuing their salvation. Saying 30 is found in verses 21 and 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Now, I realize it's unpopular to say this in certain pockets of North American evangelicalism, but it needs to be said, and it is appropriate to say it here, so here it is. There is no warrant in the biblical text for sedition. There is warrant in the text for noncompliance. If the king or the president or the prime minister commands you to do what God forbids or forbids you to do what God commands, then you can ignore the king. You can refuse to comply. And of course, you need to be prepared to pay the price when you do that. When the apostles refused a direct command from the Jewish Senate, they understood what that decision implied. Acts 5, 40-42 says, When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Close quote. So when the apostles were commanded not to preach in Jesus' name, which they had been commanded by Jesus to do, they ignored that command, received their punishment, and carried on. Notice, however, what they didn't do. They didn't take up arms against the government. There are no government protests in the book of Acts. Have you ever noticed that? Despite that the Roman people practiced abortion and infanticide at a surprising scale. Despite that the Caesars were notoriously immoral and corrupt, despite that Christians were frequently harassed and mistreated, at no point in the story is the church found circulating anti-government propaganda or plotting the assassination of high-ranking officials or generally talking much about politics at all. They did their thing. They preached their gospel. They built their churches. They shone their light. And every once in a while, they paid for their faithfulness with their lives. And over time, they won the culture. Over time, the beauty of God's way won over even their most virulent opponents. That is the way of Christ. My friends, have nothing to do with those who are trying to undermine the government. You, you can vote, you can write letters, you can support good candidates, but there is no biblical warrant for sedition. There is no biblical warrant for violent protests. Stay away from people involved in that kind of thing. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Now, did you hear that? From them both. We, in our minds, think that says for them both, as in for them all, but that's not what it says. It says from them both, meaning if the government doesn't punish people like that, then you can be sure that God will. One way or the other, the people who engage in those kinds of activity are going down. The government will get them or God will get them, and you don't want to be anywhere near them when that happens. And with that, the 30 sayings of the wise comes to an end. But there is yet another collection. In verse 23, we enter collection four, generally referred to as further sayings of the wise. 
This is a shorter collection covering verses 23 to 34 of this chapter only. Verse 23. These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality in judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. So the first of these further sayings has to do with making right judgments. The royal son will one day hold court, and he will want to be known for his justice. It is the job of the king to restrain and root out wickedness, and to reward and incentivize goodness. If he does that, he will be respected, and his kingdom will prosper. Verse 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. In that culture, as in some cultures still today, a kiss was the standard greeting between friends. Now, I'm more of a handshake guy myself, but regardless, the metaphor is reasonably easy to decipher. The wise father is saying that telling the truth is a gesture of friendship. Verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. In a general sense, this proverb is reminding the son to do things in the proper order. There's an order of operations that wise people pay attention to. The particular wording of the proverb suggests an application to domestic life. Alan P. Ross says here, A man should be financially secure before starting a family. Before entering marriage, one should have a well-ordered life. I think that's generally true. Now, of course, we have to recognize that not everyone has the same definition of financial security and a well-ordered life. To be clear, I don't think this proverb is saying that you should delay marriage until you have been promoted two or three times and you've got $100,000 in the bank. I think it's saying, in a very general way, that you need to ensure a source of income before you take on any potential dependents. Marriage leads to babies. And babies are very expensive. If you don't have a job and a reasonable prospect of support from that job, then you are a dependent and you are clearly not in a position to start a family. You need to get your house in order. If you don't have any crops growing in the field, then you shouldn't be bringing a bride into your house. I think that's the general idea. Verse 28, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. It is a bad business going to court against your neighbors. Do it only if you have to do it. And say nothing but the truth when you are there. Verse 29. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Vengeance is a fool's errand. We've talked about this before. Confucius said, he who seeks revenge digs two graves. Leave it to the magistrate and leave it to the wrath of God. Verses 30 to 34 provide the final saying in this short collection. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, 
and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. As we've talked about many times before, laziness is a sure road to poverty. All things being equal, if you wake up early and work hard at something that matters, and you produce something of quality, and you sell it at a fair price, you should have enough for you and your family. You might get rich, you might not, but you should have enough. But if you fail to do any of these things, given the brokenness and fallenness of this world, given how hard this universe pushes back on laziness and sloth, you can pretty much guarantee a life of difficulty and deprivation. Trust me, son, the wise father is saying. Effort now. Attention to detail now. Taking care of the little things now. Working yourself to the bone now now is way better than poverty, hunger, and vulnerability later. There are no easy roads out there, son, but some roads lead to security and well-being. So choose well, choose wisely, and find life. That's good counsel then and now. Thanks be to God. That's an interesting verse to me. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I think that people in this country have forgotten how hard several generations of people had to work for us to experience the kind of prosperity we've been enjoying for, what, the last several decades— We didn't just fall backwards into this. Our grandparents and great-grandparents built this by the sweat of their brow. But what has been won by hard work can be lost by laziness and sloth. Prosperity is not a guarantee, is it? No, absolutely not. Listen, I I love me some work-life balance, okay? But I also like to eat, pay my mortgage, and maybe one day semi-retire when my body gives out. And to do those things... You're going to have to work hard. Now, of course, we want to remember that there are many causes of poverty, and Proverbs will touch upon many of them. So it isn't as simple as saying poverty comes from laziness. But I think it is as simple as saying that laziness will result in poverty. There is no getting around this principle. Life is hard. And generally speaking, you have to work hard if you want to live well. That was true 3,000 years ago, and that remains true for people still today. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have for today, friends. As always, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca, or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page just by entering Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 